Well, I'm not like Josh, starting off with a song we don't know or we haven't sung before. I've already been reminded that this verse was a verse that we've heard last Sunday. And hopefully you realize that the verses that we've been talking about are verses that we've heard about for the last several Sundays. And that is uh, where Jesus tells us that He came, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And so we need to understand that Jesus came for a reason. And we've been talking about the Christian graces that we see in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we read in Galatians chapter 5 of the fruit of the Spirit. And if we have those things in our lives, then we realize how important it is to follow God. The Christian graces will cause us that we will not be barren, that we will not be unfruitful, and that we will have a guaranteed entrance into the kingdom of God or the eternal kingdom of God. It also tells us that if we lack those things, that we are blind and we cannot see afar off. And so it's very important that we add those Christian graces to our lives. And when we add those Christian graces to our lives, then we will be led by the Spirit. And when we're led by the Spirit, we will see the fruit of that Spirit, which are the things that we read in our Scripture reading this morning. When we look at what Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, He says, "...the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that ye might have life." and that you might have it more abundantly. When we read that passage in the context, we realize that it's talking about false teachers, the false teaching of the Pharisees, and how that they had led people astray, and that if we listen to that false teaching, and the same is true today, if we listen to false teaching, it's going to rob us of that abundant life. It's going to rob us of what Jesus came to this earth so that you and I could have. Now we realize ultimately behind that false teaching is, is, is Satan himself. He wants us to fall. He wants us to go back into the world if we're a Christian. He doesn't want us to obey the Gospel if we're not a Christian. And so the devil is there to fight against the goodness of God and to try to pull us away into His kingdom which we do not want to be a part of. And so we realize false teaching is something that is not good. So I asked the question this morning, what is the good life that Jesus came to make possible for you and I? Well, hopefully we realize that there are a lot of benefits. And if you look at different translations of the Bible, you will see that it is termed in different ways. But basically it is an abundant life. The life that is the best. The best that God can give us. And I want us to look at two words that are found in the Greek. One is bios and the other one is zoe. Now you know it looks like a zoe, and if you look at uh, Greek pronunciation, it is zoe uh, from what I looked at. But don't ask me how to come to that realization because I'm not a Greek scholar. But there are two words that I want us to look at. That bios is the first word that we're looking at, and that's where we get our word biology from, or, or part of that word. And it speaks of the physical life. Our heartbeats, the blood flowing through our body, the things that make us alive, our breathing and so forth, the consciousness that we have. And then Zoe speaks of the godliness that is in us. In Romans, or in the book of Romans and the book of Acts, King James' translation translates that word quite often fervent in spirit. Zoe speaks of the spirituality of our lives. It speaks of our relationship with God. The life as God would have it to be. Our desire for godliness. Our desire to be formed in His image. 
having His heart, His disposition, and His behavior. That is what the godliness is that we're talking about. And that's what is represented in the word zoe. Bios speaks of being born. where We're born into this world. Zoe speaks of our being born again into a Christian life. And that's what Jesus tells us that we needed to do, or we must do, if we want to have heaven as our home. We must be born again. And so we see that Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And I believe that He has reference to both of those words when He's talking about that. You see, our physical existence will be enhanced when we are faithful to God. He came that we might have a spiritual life and that our relationship with God might be enhanced also, resulting in eternal life and eternity in heaven with Him. Jesus came that all life, bios and zoe, might be better, might be better enhanced, and it would be more abundant. When you put those two words together, you start to think about the 23rd Psalm. If you have your Bible, turn over there real quick. Another passage of Scripture that is very familiar to all of us, the 23rd Psalm. But as you glance through that chapter, I want you to realize it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. When you think of that passage of Scripture, what does that tell us? It tells us that our Lord supplies our physical needs. He supplies the green pastures and the still waters. And if you read on, you see that He supplies our emotional needs when He restores our soul. We also see that He leads us in a spiritual direction when it says He leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We have no fear. Why? Because He came. And because He came and He died and rose from the grave, He conquered death. And because He conquered death, we don't have to be afraid to die. Because we know that we have a promise of the of life in the hereafter. As our shepherd, he uses the shepherd's tools, the rod and a staff, to guide us, to discipline us, and to rescue us. He blesses us, even in the presence of our enemies. God blesses us. He is a great physician when it talks about the anointing oil. My head, He anoints my head with oil. It is the healing of His anointing oil that takes place. And so He heals us from wounds that we cannot heal ourselves from. Because of His coming, because Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross, our cup, our cup of blessings runneth over. Doesn't that sound like abundant? Our cup runneth over. His love, His goodness, His mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And because of Him, we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's life. When we follow Jesus, when we follow God, when we follow their plan that they have given us in in their Word, we realize that we are better off physically in this world and we're definitely better off spiritually.
God blesses us tremendously. So when we read the 23rd Psalm, we understand that this life and our eternal existence and everything that we have is much more abundant because of His coming. It's like going to a car rental place to rent a car. You signed up online and you got the economy model, the one that you don't know if you if you bump into a in, into something whether you're going to live or not. But you got that little dinky car, and you walk up to the counter and they say, "Guess what? We don't have any of those economy cars. We want to give you a Lincoln Town car. We want to give you a Cadillac. Same price, but we want to upgrade you." That's kind of what God has done for us. We come to this world, we're all born into this world. But the Christian has the spiritual blessings that the world does not have. We have. We've been upgraded. Because we've obeyed the Gospel, we have that abundant life. Everybody else has life, but not like the Christian has. So think about that. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And that abundant life is is more than material wealth or things and stuff that we talk about or prosperity or pleasure or things of that nature. The abundant life that Jesus came to offer is one that is filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. A life filled with the Christian graces that Peter tells us leads us to godliness or helps us to participate in godliness. And it makes our calling and election sure. And it gives us an entrance into that eternal kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the hearts of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Brother, we can't even imagine what God's got planned for us. But if we love Him, we know that we have a much better life in the hereafter. But we also realize that in this life, we will be blessed beyond whatever we could imagine. So, how do we add godliness and self-control to our lives? Let me say, first of all, godliness or self-control, obviously. Self-control is not a very popular subject today. We live in a me society where people want it and they're going to do whatever they want to do. They don't exercise self-control. And sometimes as Christians, we struggle with that ourselves. But it's something that we must understand and make part of our life if we're going to be a godly people. You see, when God created us, when He created Adam and Eve in the garden, He gave them free will. He gave you and I free will where we have a choice as to whether or not we want to follow Him. We have a choice as to whether or not we want to do what is right or to do what is wrong. And God created us with that free will and that means that we can control our desires, that we can control our attitudes, our behavior, our disposition, and our destiny. Don't be like Flip Wilson. Most of you probably don't even know who I'm talking about. But he used to say, the devil made me do it. No, the devil doesn't make us do it. It's our own choice. We have free will. We don't have to do it if we don't want to do it. If we have a problem, we need to control it. We need to overcome it. What is our problem? Is it our losing our temper? 
Is it having a critical or judgmental attitude? Is it being impatient? Is it having some uh, abuse or addiction that we have to deal with to pornography or drink or drugs or food or or, or, uh, tobacco? Is our problem of lying or pride or apathy, just being lazy or self-centeredness? You see, those are problems that we deal with. Those are problems that people have and those are problems that we need to let go of and put God godliness in our lives. You see, like Paul, we don't always do what's right. We struggle with that. We want to do what's right. We have a desire to do what's right. But then we make the wrong choice. We do what we want to do as opposed to what we know we should do. Don't forget that. You see, self-control becomes a vital part of our being led by the Spirit. The truth is, we will become what we will to become. Let me say that again. We will become what we will to become. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, I believe, tells us that. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. To become godlike or to become Christ-like is to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the key. Here's the key to accomplishing our mission. To accomplishing self-control. To accomplishing godliness in our lives and all the other elements of the fruit of the Spirit. If we want to have to, if we want those in our lives, we have to want to do it. And I mean we really have to want to do it. And we want the Lord to help us to want to. Because that's something that is very important. A lot of people don't want to. And there's that's where the problem is, is with our want to. You see, the decision is ours. And it's ours alone. And as much as we would like to, to do this. Who we are and what we are cannot be blamed on anyone else. You and I are what we are because of the choices that we make in our lives. We cannot blame it on our parents, our spouses, our bosses, our neighbors, our leaders. It is what I choose to be, what I choose to do, and I may make excuses but it ultimately falls to me. It's the choice that I've made. You see, we control our attitudes. We control our dispositions. We control our behavior. We control our eternal destiny. Now, you don't believe me. How many times has this happened at your house? Maybe you're having a problem with a husband and wife you know, arguing back and forth. Maybe it's you with your children or your children with you or your children with each other. But the argument's going on in the house and it's going on hot and heavy. And the phone rings and you walk over after growling and barking at everybody else. You walk over to the phone and say, Hello. Oh yeah, everything's fine. Great. We're having a good time. And then you hang up the phone and you go right back to doing what you were doing before. Now tell me you don't have a choice in your life of how you deal with things. We are who and what we choose to be. 
Listen to me. If you do not like who you are, if you don't feel comfortable in your own skin, it's nobody's fault but yours. You and I decide it's our choice. So, how do we exercise self-control? Well, for one, we accept our dissatisfaction. We must be dissatisfied with who we and what we are at this moment and want to be more like Jesus. We have to realize that we're not what we're supposed to be. We're not what we're supposed to be. And when we come to that realization and we realize we want to be more like Christ, we can do something about it. Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Not as though I had already obtained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Before the Apostle Paul became a Christian, the Bible tells us that he made havoc of the Lord's church. That he delivered people into be prison, he consented to their death. We see him first introduced to us when Stephen, after his sermon or after he was preaching and teaching, was stoned to death. He held the coats of those that did the stoning. Saul was not a good man. He hated Christians. He could always, after he became a Christian, always reflect back on that and never get over that, or he could move forward. And we know that on occasions he did remind us that he was the chief of sinners. But he never looked back saying, that's what I would like to have done. He put that in the past, he put it behind him, and then he moved forward. Brethren, that's what we need to do. That's what many of us need to do. Let go of the past and move to the future. Move to the current times and straight forward from there. Don't look back. Paul realized how important that is to press on. And I've used the illustration before. Now, the thought that always comes to my mind when I read that, when he talks about reaching forth. Sometimes if you want something, you've got to reach for it. It's sort of like that item up on the top shelf and you've got to stretch and you got to, and strain to reach it, to get it. But you do it. It's like playing baseball and you're in the outfield and that ball is coming out to you. Bases are loaded and if you don't catch it, they're going to score. And you get there and you know you're not going to make it, so you just leap and you catch it. Brethren, that's what we need to do. Realize the importance of the life that we have chosen. Realize the need that we have to be godlike and to exercise self-control in our lives. Don't look back in the past Move forward. Too many people are hung up in the past. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, and verse 6, Blessed are they which do, do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Brethren, do we really hunger and thirst after righteousness? 
There's probably some st- stomachs growling right now waiting for lunch, waiting for dinner. Thinking about what you may be having for lunch or dinner. You're going to fulfill that need, that desire, that appetite that you have. You're going to take care of that after services. Do we have that same desire when it comes to the hungering and thirsting after righteousness that we want to be filled so we dig into God's Word and we fill ourselves with that Word so that we can be what God wants us to be? We must stop relying on good intentions. Many people get to their deathbed and they talk about their intentions, what they had intended to do. And you'll hear them say, I intended to be a better spouse. I intended to be a better parent. I intended to be baptized into Christ. I intended to read my Bible and study it every day. I intended to pray all the time. I intended to do the work of the church. I intended to serve Jesus more faithfully. I intended to stop that particular sin that is in my life. I had good intentions. Good intentions without self-control is always failure. It's always failure. Remember that. Number three, we must start training today. We must put our hand to the plow. Now that word training just sounds awful. I remember years ago, or a few years back, I had to have surgery. My doctor said, I want you to prepare for this surgery. I want you to train like a fighter. Well, unfortunately, my son was my trainer. And it's not all the t- every every time that a child gets the opportunity to torture their parent. But we spent two hours every day being tortured in the gym. You seen them big tires that they flip? I went out there and beat on one of those with a 16-pound sledgehammer because that's what he said do. Because he said train. Your doctor said you need to train like you're training for a fight. Well, we're fixing to have one. But we did it. But it was work. It isn't fun. It wasn't fun getting up and saying, let's go do this. Especially you knew you were going to have surgery, so you knew you had a problem, but you knew you had the need that needed to be taken care of. And so when we think of training, that word uh, sort of like has a bad sound in our minds. We don't like that idea. But Paul said... In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Exercise. To train the body and the mind is what that means. We train ourselves. We train our minds and that trains our body. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not sure that that's a, a exercise verse, but it fit today. Work out your salvation. Tom Landry said that as a football coach, 
coach's job was to make men do what they don't want to do. In order to achieve what they always wanted to be. And he goes on to say, this is also the way it is with we Christians. I thought that isn't that interesting. And how true it is. We must be willing to discipline ourselves, our human nature. Think about those words. I've heard those words quite often. I hear them sometimes in Bible class. I've heard it in dealing with individuals that it's just our human nature. It's just the way we are. That's the way God made us. Well, no. God isn't asking us to do something that's impossible. And when He asks us to have self-control and be godly, that isn't something that's out of the ordinary. God wants us to be what He wants us to be. You see, I've always said that Christians are the normal people. That all the people out there in the world are the ones that are abnormal because they're not doing what God wants them to do. We're supposed to be doing what God wants us to be or do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24-27, through 27, Know ye not that they which run in a race all run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain, that every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now we do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Or they do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so I fight, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that any, by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Brother, I want you to think about what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about training and working and running a race. And quite often when we realize that we need to train ourselves and get our bodies under control, it takes a whole lot of effort. Because we don't want to get out of bed. We don't want to get up and we have to get up anyways. We don't want to exercise, but we need to exercise anyways. Our flesh, our flesh tells us we need to eat more. We want to eat more. We have to have a little discipline to say no. We want to make time for prayer and to read our Bibles. We need again exercise a little self-control. I don't have time and energy to work in the Lord's work or do the Lord's work. You think about that. Really, is that true? You don't have time to do the things that God wants you to do. There's always time to do what God wants you to do. Because guess what? If someone was to knock on your door and say, let's go where somewhere place you wanted to go, even though you had other plans, you might change those plans to go. You always make room, and I know we all make room, for what we want to do. Remember that? Help me to want to. We do what we want to do. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow Me. Does that sound easy? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. Does it sound easy? Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And not on earth, but in heaven. Where's your treasures at? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You see, self-control, folks, are those who look beyond today. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, 
It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen to this. Why? For consider Him that endured which contradictions of sinners against Himself. Why? Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Think about what Jesus endured. Think about why He came to this earth. Don't become weary. Don't give up. The exercise, the training will be worth it. Living the godly life will be worth it. The self-control will be worth it. Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Again, why? For you know, or for as much as you know, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Brethren, what we do for the Lord, the work that we do, the things that we practice because we realize that's what He wants us to be, it's not going to be a waste of our time. You ever had someone tell you, why do you get up and go to church? Why don't you just enjoy the day? I hope everyone that's here enjoys the day. Because that's really where the joy should be is with God's people doing godly things. And finally, we need to understand that self-discipline won't be easy, but it will lead to a life without regret. Allow me to make this point by using the words of Admiral William H. McRaven. You can watch his video on YouTube. And he tells of his disciplinary experience as a Navy SEAL. This is what he says. I stood at attention along with 150 other students on the first day of SEAL training. The instructor dressed in combat boots, khaki shorts, and a blue and gold t-shirt. Walked across the asphalt courtyard with a brass bell hanging, where a brass bell hanging in full view of all of we trainees. Gentlemen, he said, for the next six months you will undergo the toughest course of instruction in the United States military. I glanced around and I could see looks of apprehension on the faces of many of fellow cadets. We were scared. He continued, You will be tested like no other time in your life. Pausing, he looked around the class of new tadpoles and he said, Most of you will not make it. I will see to it. I will do everything in my power to make you quit. I will harass you unmercifully. I will embarrass you in front of your teammates. I will push you beyond your limits. Then with a slight grin, and there will be pain. Lots and lots of pain. Grabbing the bell, he pulled the rope hard. And a loud clang echoed across the parade grounds. But if you don't like the pain, if you don't like the harassment, then there's an easy way out. He pulled the rope again, 
and another wave of deep metallic sound reverberated off of the buildings. All you have to do to quit is ring this bell three times and it's over. It's all over. Ring the bell, you don't have to get up early. Ring the bell, you don't have to go on long runs, the cold swims, the obstacle course. Ring the bell, and you can avoid all the pain. And then he glanced down at the asphalt and seemed to break from his prepared monologue. But let me tell you something, gentlemen. If you quit, you will regret it for the rest of your life. Quitting never made anything easier. Six months later, at graduation, only 33 out of 150 were left standing. Some had taken the easy way out. They had quit. And my guess is that the old man was right, that they would regret it for the rest of their lives. I read that. Because I want us to realize that we're in something much more important than the Navy SEALs. We're on the, in the Lord's Army. And I'm afraid that some of our members have rung the bell. But they've quit. And sometimes we're even here and we've kind of rang the bell ourselves that we've quit. Because sometimes it's just too hard. It's too hard to do what's right. It's too hard to discipline ourselves. And so we just give in, give up, and say, Lord, just take this the way, way I want it. I want to say, don't ring the bell. Don't ring it one time, two times, or three times. Stay in the fight. It will be worth whatever we have to go through. And yes, we have to train ourselves. It takes discipline. It's not easy. If your Christian life is easy, then maybe there's something wrong with your Christian life. Because it's going to be tough to share the Gospel with people that sometimes may not want to hear it. To tell people what they need to hear about God's Word when they don't like it. To be the example among people that are trying to drag you down and pull you away from that standard. It's hard. And then sometimes our own brethren sometimes pick at us. Paul had that problem. He warned them to be careful lest they consumed one another. That happens. But don't ring the bell. Because if you ring the bell, you'll regret it for all of eternity. The question is what will you do with Jesus? He came to this earth so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. If you're not a Christian, 
You're not going to experience that abundant life. You have to be obedient to His will. And Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You can do that this morning. And then you can get on that road. Paul talks about that race that he's running. We can all win that race. But don't ring the bell. Remain faithful. And if you've rung the bell, my encouragement to you is to repent, get up, and start training all over again. Live that faithful life. We will be His. We'll be His disciples because we discipline ourselves to godliness. Self-control is something that is important. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, we would encourage you to do so while we stand and sing.